Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Now Hear This is a music review podcast and is not directly affiliated with any artists or album projects discussed on the show. Think of us like your record collection come to life. Well, except for some of those old Billy Ray Cyrus records. But hey, thanks for Miley. You got a record of your favorite songs. You got an hour and it won't take long. You got a pair of brand new friends. You got a ticket gonna stick to the end. I said, now hear this. Now hear this. Now hear this show. sound and material and indication and things to come for such groups as uh, your Beach Boys? I don't know. I just think it's not really an indication of things to come uh, for us or anything. It's just a kind of a particular atmosphere, you know, that we were working in that uh, inspired that particular kind of things that were on the album. I did my dose of LSD. It shattered my mind, and I came back, thank God, in I don't know how many pieces. When we first began a smile, I had crazy ideas. I was smoking hashish. things and we got into a very strange bag the glass was raised to fire and rose the fullness of the wine the dim last toasting you get so next to it you don't know where you are with it you just decide to chuck it for a while but choke of grief heart heart and i Hey, Ryan, what's your favorite vegetable? Hmm. It is rhubarb a vegetable? I think it is. I think it's a root. Then I am partial to... I like cauliflower. Hey, that's a good one. You can do a lot with cauliflower. You oh, can is that right? Sear it. You can cook it on a grill. You can grill the cauliflower. You can um, mash it. I love mashed <laughs> cauliflower. Have you ever had riced cauliflower? Yes, I think I have, yeah. Oh, it's such a good substitution. For just rice? For just mean? rice. Yeah, 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 rice. I've had a deep fried cauliflower that's meant <sighs> to be, you know, like chicken wings or something. Oh, buffalo cauliflower. Buffalo, there you go. What a versatile food. I think it's delicious. It really teaches you that food is about the sauces and the salsas. Yeah, but you also have to make sure it's enriching your soul. You are what you eat, you know. That's true. That is. <laughs> Is that why I like juji fruit so much? Is that why I like? Um, <laughs> is that why I like uh, waffles? So no, this I, I couldn't think of a good one. Well, you know, sometimes you just gotta. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you gotta throw spaghetti. You gotta throw spaghetti at the wall and see if the plate still intact.
and it's not usually in their sauce everywhere. This drunk casting episode of Now Hear This is brought to you by everyone's favorite hamburger boy. <laughs> Neil Hamburger? <laughs> oh, no, sorry, the other one. Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson. Today on the show, we are going to be talking about an album that means an absurd amount to me, which is the Beach Boys Smile Sessions. Ooh. And this is an album, Ryan, that became more of a way of life for me oh, for a little while. Lord, yeah. I fell into a strange state. And as we've talked about, I this, this episode, if any episode was going to get real weird, this mm. is the one. And I am prepared to go as far down the, the hole. Yeah. You were saying before we turned the recording machine on, should we do a safe word? And I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get weird. No. Yeah. Let's get weird with it. Yes. Yes, and. Yes, and. Love you. Right. Thank you. You too. No, no, no. I was talking, <laughs> oh, about, okay. the, I was talking about the Beach Boys album. Yeah. I just thought of that. It popped into my head, that whole... Because look, what what is this? This is 1967? 67. Well, it was started in 66. And wow. it's an album that was maybe the most hyped record of its time. And maybe one of the most hyped records ever that never came out. Never, right? And you can, and well, I guess until 2011, 20, well, 2004 for the first version, but there was a long time that passed. This album is one that is filled with a lot of mystique, and it's one that I never really considered until last year. It's so funny. So this is the story I've been waiting to say for the podcast because it's weird. It's a weird story. Yeah. But I found Smile in a bargain bin at Amoeba when I first moved out here. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I like a the- bargain bin. Yeah. And so oh. I thought, okay, well, I like I like the Beach Boys, so I'll give it a shot. But I don't really know the Beach Boys. I don't like Help Me Rhonda or whatever. Right. And so I bought Smile because Vegetables was on it. And I was very familiar yeah. with Vegetables. And there's uh -huh. a reason why is because Paul McCartney is rumored, and I think it's, it's actually real, on one of the versions of Vegetables over the years, he's- one of the people he chewing the celery. Carrot. Oh, celery. I thought it was a carrot. Carrot or celery, whatever it is. So I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Did not like it. Oh, you didn't like it at didn't, all? Didn't like it. And you're talking about the original. It's not the... I'm talking about the Brian Wilson version. Oh, the Brian Wilson 2004 or three or whatever it is where he's like... Yeah. Barely right, right. there, <laughs> cognitively, <laughs> and we and we'll talk about singing these songs yeah. exactly, and we'll talk about why that exists and all that stuff. But I found it, and then last year, in the month before my daughter was born, I was having a little bit of an existential crisis, like mourning my own childhood and all this and all those weird emotions you get. <laughs> mourning, yeah, uh, all those weird emotions you get into before a baby comes, and for whatever reason, I found. It was actually through a podcast. I, I'm not ashamed to admit it was uh, through a podcast. I love friend of the friend of some of our other shows. Richard Buskin has mm. a wonderful podcast called Swinging Through the '60s, where they talked a little bit about the mystique of Smile, and it made me. And they played some clips, and I was like, "Boy, Brian sounds really young in these clips. Yeah. What is this?" Then I realized around 2011, 2012, they assembled the Beach Boys version of Smile. Uh oh. And I found that album, Ryan. And I became Brian Wilson level obsessed. Yeah, with there's it. a look in your eye right now. Where yeah, I, mean, I haven't seen that. I couldn't before. let it go. <laughs> right. Like I listened to it on repeat a lot. It really, 
annoyed my wife yeah. to a re- like a like a gross level. Well, at least it's not Randy Newman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, there's something, some switch in my soul flipped on yeah. with this record, and it hit me like no other album, maybe with the exception of Abbey Road. Oh, wow, wow, ever hit me, and I just felt everything Brian was saying deep, deep within. Yeah. And it was a weird spiritual experience. And I found out later, this is so funny, and I don't believe in hokum and magic and all that stuff, but I found out later I was born to the song Good Vibrations. Huh. That was playing when I was born. Yeah. And I understand that that is coincidence, but I found it so weird and cosmic that... Well, it's from those sessions, that song. Good Vibrations, yeah. yeah. the Smile Sessions. Right. I've found it so weird and cosmic that I found this record and it meant so much to me and I didn't know why. Right. And then I found it. I was literally born to this record. Right. Yeah, you were from the same, all of it. The, the, and then to reconnect with it when you yourself were creating a life and bringing your life into the world. Yeah. There is a bookend. It's weird. Duality there. Another wonderful part about it is because my daughter heard it so much in utero, mm. <laughs> I play it around the house a lot and she dances along to it and she loves it too. And, oh, really? Huh. I mean, she's 10 months old. She loves anything that makes any small noise. But that said, it's a one that I feel very personally attached to. Yeah. But also I have, the, I have enough detachment to understand its faults and ultimately why it's complicated record to consider. Well, it's incredibly complicated. Yeah. But in the annals of music history, it has a very strange spot, doesn't it? It has a yeah. really weird... It's more about the mystique, the story of Smile. It's more of like almost more important than the record itself. Definitely. So to, to this point, if we want to get spooky, you know, I can get spooky with yeah, the best spooky. of them, you know. Spooky. So one of my favorite books and movies is The Shining. Love The Shining. Love it. So the movie, you know, Kubrick, there's all these. It's a movie that attracts people nuts, crazy people. We're like, oh, the numbers and this. And did you see the thing in that frame and all this stuff? And, <laughs> yeah. you know, that was one of the first movies where I saw where I was just like, I am horrified by this for whatever reason, whether it's the man facing his demons or actual ghosts or a big empty house or winter yeah all of these themes and topics that connect with humanity oh yeah we built the hotel on an indian burial ground why do white people always move in (laughs) to to places over indian burial grounds we'll take it (laughs) that sounds great i tell you what if we come back and the family's not murdered i owe you a coke yeah right exactly oh it's little simpsons yeah mr burns so (laughs) The book is different than the movie, and Stephen King famously cannot stand Stanley Kubrick's movie, so he remade that movie with Stephen Weber mm. and made for a television yes. thing. I remember watching that when it came yeah. on, by the way. I do too, and Stephen Weber is like a regular guy that goes nuts, and Stephen King's whole thing was like, well, Jack Nicholson, when you see him... He's fucking crazy (laughs) right off the bat. That's not the point of the story. I've read the book. I've seen that. And I've seen the Stephen King movie. And like the house itself, which modulates between 
different realms yeah. and different different realities and different people's perception. I feel like the real story is somewhere between the three. Yeah. You have to consume all of the things to really experience the shining. And that's what smile feels like yeah. to me. Where I have a buddy, Max Parenchio, the Pelican boy, who when we were in high school handed me, he's like, here's the burn of what I think smile is. I'm like, what do you mean what you think it is? Right. He's like, oh, it wasn't released. It was supposed to be better than Sgt. Pepper. Wait, what? <laughs> and then you get the Brian Wilson version in 2004, which is what it is. And then you get this after all of it where they go, oh, no, this is what it was meant to be. Yeah. But because of all the bouncing around and all the stories and all, it, you have to listen to so much and, con- and consume so much mm-hmm. because the definitive version never came. And what are we dealing with? Jack Nicholson's character was an insane person. Brian Wilson... I wouldn't have Brian Wilson as my therapist if, <laughs> if I can be plain about that. Sure. But it, rem- it gives me that feeling as my point. Uh, I think that's a wonderful analogy. You do kind of have to embrace the mystery. You have to embrace the artist's interpretation. And then you have to embrace what actually happened. Yeah. And it's it's a journey that I was so happy I took because it opened up the Beach Boys for me. I thought I knew the Beach Boys before this. And then I listened to this, and then in short order after that, listened to what would become some of my favorite records. Right. Sunflower, I consider to be... That's excellent. ...a perfect record in an early 70s folk rock record. Is Disney Girls on that one? No. Okay, what's on that one? Is Surf's Uh, Up on that? No. No, that's on Surf's Up. Yeah, 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 which ultimately comes from this. But in... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I got a little straw. I'm going to be doing instrumental breaks because I know we're going deep on this one. Yeah, you can hear. I can hear music is on that one. And, oh, that's excellent. Um, yeah. That one's really good. And this, I'm thinking about a missile world. The rest of the podcast is just this. <laughs> we spent 40 minutes singing to so, each other. Ryan, let's talk about the story of Smile. Okay, let's. With a lowercase i, everything else is capitalized, mm, right? Yeah. Yes. Now, we all know the story of the Beach Boys. We don't have to get into all that. But basically, you know, the cliff notes is they were a super big pop band, very early 60s, pre-British invasion, out of California. They solidified what is called the surf sound. Mm. And then in 1964... Four assholes from England step off a plane and their world is changed. <laughs> Everyone's world is changed. And the Beach Boys had to change with it. And Beetle Ed, Bongo, <laughs> Dirk Nasty, and then there's another one. <laughs> I am so happy you made a Ruddles reference because that's going to come back later in Thank the podcast. You. Um, so you have in the band Mike Love on vocals, Dennis Wilson on drums, Al Jardine on rhythm guitar, Carl Wilson on lead, and Brian Wilson on bass. Brian, Carl, and Dennis were all brothers. Mike is their cousin, and Al Jardine was a family friend, so it's very much a family mm-hmm, band. Right. And Brian is the chief songwriter of the group. He writes the material. And he was obsessed with a couple things. The Four Freshmen mm-hmm. was, was a big obsession of his. And when Spectre came out, I forget what the song is. Is it Be My Baby? Be My Baby? Might be Be My Baby. Ronnie Spector, Phil Spector's lady for a short period of time. Who I saw, by the way, live. She was great. Sounded awesome. We saw saw her too. Yeah. Last year, must have been. Still doing it. Yeah. Did she do Tandoori Chicken for you? Yeah, I think she did, actually. Love that song. That's the sexiest old lady I've ever seen on stage, (laughs) if I can be so bold. 
So this group has to evolve. The Beatles have forced their hand. They're on the same label as the Beatles in America. They're Uh-oh. on Capitol. They're label mates, but they're also rivals. Yes. Brian, it's a friendly rivalry, but it's definitely a rivalry. This is to me, and this is a rivalry, by the way, set up by a couple of different things. In the mid-60s, you get an album called Pet Sounds from the Beach Boys, widely considered to be their best work, at least best released work, and with good reason. It's super advanced and sophisticated feat for the time. It's the envy of everyone, including the Beatles. Right. John and Paul apparently called Brian to tell him how much they loved the record. I didn't know that. Leonard Bernstein gave them an endorsement after that one. I love the Ghostbusters stuff he did later. (laughs) That's way... Oh, no, that's Elmer Bernstein. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry. You're going to really Sorry need to step that, that up because I'm about to get like really sincere. Okay, let's go. Stuff. I'm going to pull it back. No, no, no. Step it up is what I'm saying. Okay, you have to yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to keep uh, floating the, the, the sugar for you. Float it. That album, though, peaked at number 10 on the Billboard charts. Yeah. And around that time, the Beatles' own publicity officer, Derek Taylor, Ooh, Derek. came to represent the Beach Boys. And presented the image of them as a rival to the Beatles, which, by the way, I think holds more true than the narrative that the Rolling Stones were the Beatles. Oh, never even close. John said they just copied everything they did. Right. I think it's just true. When the Rolling Stones do their own stuff the way they want to do it, that's the best Stones to me. Yeah. Well, the best Stones stuff, if if we really want to hijack this for a second, is when the Beatles do not exist anymore. Yeah. The 70s Stones crushes the 60s Stones, but that is a controversial opinion. My favorite Stones record is Let It Bleed, which is 69, but that's close. That's close close enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so spring of 66, you have all of these forces like Brian through Pet Sounds has established himself as a musical genius to the world. And you have, again, the narrative being pit that the Beach Boys versus the Beatles, who is going to win pop supremacy? The Beatles are British. Beach Boys are American. You have this conflict set up on either side of the Atlantic. Inspired by all of that cultural happenstance, in the spring of 66, Brian devotes all of his time to what he called his pocket symphony Mm. or a teenage symphony to God. And And what Brian does is he steps back from touring. He does not go out with the band on tour anymore. He lets the Beach Boys, they're the face of the band to the public. Yeah, I understand. And Brian is the guy who's the genius. He's going to be locked away. He's going to write all the songs. He's going to do all the genius stuff. And then the band can record it and head back out on the road. That's the system they've devised. The Beatles, by the way, ape that. In fact, a lot of people think that that's where they got the idea of like, hey, we don't have to tour Pepper. We're not touring anymore. Hey, look, Brian's not touring. (laughs) You know, they're using the studio as their instrument. Right. Brian was also under pressure to record another epic hit, and he was feeling kind of a crunch. Fortunately, Brian was able to come up with a song called Good Vibrations. Heard of that. (laughs) Using a modular recording style. So that is something that I did not know about when I was digging into this record. This is a modular album, or was, or was meant to be, but they did it with good vibrations. So all the parts are meant to be able to overlap Yeah, on top. That's nuts. There's a wonderful interview with George Martin where he does nothing but talk about Brian Wilson, and he's like, I didn't know that, <laughs> and I would have never considered to know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So okay, he was George. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's blown away. R.I.P. Good Vibrations becomes the band's first million-selling single. It is a smash, the biggest single they ever did. Huh. And it all came from 
Brian's song. It's so funny. The song, good, and we'll get to that when we do the track by track, but the, the origins of that song are very interesting. But he's working in those different pieces, those different layers in that sort of modular style, yeah, which is basically just layering for all intents and purposes and almost assembling it like a crossword puzzle. Mm-hmm. So Good Vibrations emboldened Brian that his approach was working. But what he wanted was to make sure that his lyric could continue to provide the same kind of sophistication that his melody provided. Right. Well, beautiful melodies from that guy, you know. The best, maybe. Yeah. In that kind of pop music. So who does he bring in? Van Dyke Parks. Van Dyke Parks. I do know that one. I do. I know a few things in this episode. <laughs> so Brian brings in Van Dyke, who's a struggling 22-year-old L.A. music scenester and poet. <laughs> Relatively I've met a lot of those, yeah. <laughs> And Brian felt that he would add that sophistication in the lyric that Brian was able to contribute in the melody. So Van Dyke described this partnership as collaborative heaven. They would just bounce off each other. And between the two of them, the project, Brian's Pocket Symphony, Smile, was concocted. Brian always felt that if you were laughing, you were out of control. And once you gave up control, you could have a cosmic experience. I love that, yeah. Also doing... Not wrong. Tons of acid. All of the acid in the universe yeah, really is going into his brain. he really was ripping it up at this stage. So let me paint the picture. The Beach Boys, touring on Pet Sounds, are in Britain right now, rocking the socks off of a couple surly Europeans. <laughs> Triumphant. Brian is at home doing all the acid in the universe and writing songs with this 22-year-old guy. They're just doing tons of drugs, and they set out to record this album. Yeah. Again, the Beach Boys aren't involved. This is just Brian yeah, okay. and Van Dyke. Oh, so it's almost a solo record of Brian's in yeah. its own way. Brian would head into the studio, and then he'd play each instrument and show everyone what he was thinking. Then he'd head to the- Really? Wow. Yeah. Then he'd head to the control room and run the board. Brian produced, performed, and wrote alongside with Van Dyke- all the lyrics, and arranged this record. That's like if just Paul was Paul, John, George, Ringo, George Martin, Jeff Emmerich, and the symphony. (laughs) That's huge. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That's when the weirdness starts to set That's when it starts. Okay, go ahead. So as we mentioned, he's doing all the acid in the universe. And he and Van Dyke and his Band of session players in LA. The Wrecking Crew, right? That's who I, the boys and girls were? Some of them. Some, but yeah, it's probably a rolling window or door or whatever of people at this point because of how yeah. big they are. Okay. Oh, they're the biggest yeah. band in America. At least in America. America, yeah. So Brian starts to experiment, shall we say, with different ways to <laughs> experience his creativity Yeah. whilst smoking a lot of hash and ingesting a lot of acid and everything else he was doing. So Brian would make, evidently, I wrote some bullet points of the weirdness that he would do. He would make everyone act out the song that they were recording. Okay. Let's let that one sink in I'm going to let that, yeah. Act it out. (laughs) Get their body into it. Like an improv class. I'm running through the lyrics of some of these songs. I'm trying to do that. Culminating ruin domino. (laughs) How in the hell do you act that out? He got rid of all the furniture in his living room and replaced it with blue mats to, quote, promote health. And this is a quote from Brian. I wanted other people to exercise, but I was too lazy. 
What? He wouldn't do it himself, but he wanted other people to do it, which he found to be an interesting psychological exercise. Yikes. He had people do calisthenics in the pool. Like, he had everybody eating, like, vegetables, eating healthy for a little while because he felt like it was good for your soul, but, like, he wouldn't do it. That's where the song Vegetables comes from. Yeah. Well, and that's not a... I always took that song as a satire. I mean, we can get into it, but keep going. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so after the Blue Mats, he has a a large sandbox installed in his living room. Oh, boy. And has a Steinway piano brought in to the middle so that he could play songs and write songs while he had his toes in the sand because it made him feel like he was at the beach. Which Kind of sick. Kind of a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little eccentric, but it's cool. Apparently that went south when they couldn't stop the dogs from shitting in it. Oh, no. Yeah, you definitely can't stop that. <laughs> and then the last, like... Get rid of the dogs, then. <laughs> You're talking about groupies, right? Oh, yeah. no, they were actually dogs? <laughs> no, literal dogs. Uh, yeah, no, the women were shitting in the <laughs> sand. The last... That makes more sense than everything you've said so far. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> please continue. The last thing I'll just say here is an Arabian tent was brought in to, quote, hold meetings in and right. to, and to, quote, have somewhere to hide. There was no vent ever installed in the tent, so everyone smoking hash was creating this crazy haze in there that uh, you couldn't even see the other side of the tent while you were sitting in it. And so all Brian would do is apparently smoke hash and eat sandwiches, but eventually no one wanted to go inside because it wasn't air conditioned. Oh, jeez. Well, I do a lot of my best thinking in tents, so I understand... (laughs) You know the best tentists in LA? Yeah, it's down on the tenth in the tenth district on Tenth Street. <laughs> <laughs> so the sandbox songs, as they're called, are the centerpiece tracks for the album. Oh, yeah, which are those? Well, we'll get into that. Okay, when we, when, sorry, sir. When we get into the track. But I know. I feel my like knuckles with my straw. I'm sorry, there's so much to get into. Keep talking. <laughs> God damn it! So Brian and Van Dyke worked on those first, and then they fleshed out everything else from yeah. there. That's where things go bad. The Beach Boys returned from England. Ooh. Triumphant. They're heroes. They came back flying high. Yeah, clearly. They come back and Brian plays them what he did. (laughs) And they're like, what the fuck is this? Mm. The band basically turns on him. He gets zero support from his brothers, his family. Dennis and Carl. Yeah. He is, again, doing a lot of drugs. And it's around this time that his undiagnosed clinical depression starts to kick into gear. It's said that once he started doing acid, he started hearing voices in his head that would tell right. uh, that would tell him to kill himself or to kill oh, other people. Boy. And when the boys came back and said, we hate this, Brian said it killed him inside. It gave him doubts. He was no longer feeling like he was a creative genius. He was feeling like he was a hack. And... Apparently, Mike Love tried to make sense out of it, but around this time, Sergeant Pepper was looming on the horizon. Brian heard Strawberry Fields Forever while on some downer pills, and apparently he pulled his car over to the side of the road and said, they did it already. Oh, no. Maybe it's too late. I think the end of that story is he and the friend he was with, like, laughed about it, but, like, that must have affected Brian. Yeah, definitely. To hear Strawberry Fields, because when you hear Strawberry Fields and some stuff on Smile, you can... There's a lot of overlap. There. Yeah, definitely. He had already been working on Smile for six months, the longest any Beach Boys record ever took to make. 
and he felt he needed another year to work on it. Oh, goodness. But Capital was anxious. They needed the follow-up, and the band was refusing to participate. Brian, when talking about what Mike thought of the album, he said he hated it, which wow. would have been devastating. Feeling tired and beaten down, Brian enters into an emotional crisis coupled with his abuse of drugs. He thought his phones were being tapped. He started to insist on holding meetings in the middle of a pool because, quote, they couldn't bug the pool. Uh-oh. Paranoia sneaks in. Van Dyke walks. Van Dyke doesn't want wow. any part of this. Leaves. When he walks, the thing implodes. Brian cites the following as the demise of Smile. Quote, Mike didn't like it. I thought it was too experimental. The fire tape was too scary. People wouldn't understand where my head was at. Mm. Those are the four reasons he cites. Yeah. Brian has a nervous breakdown. His depression was conjuring those auditory hallucinations, and he felt like the record was cursed. I never wanted to talk about it again. That sounds bleak. There's a couple things I'm not going to go into. There's something called Smiley Smile, which... Oh, goodness. What a... Oh, yeah, because... I... <laughs> it's a... For those of you who don't know, Smiley oh. Smile is like a very homespun, sing-along version of some of the tracks from Smile. And it's not very good. I think it was, a, in large part, a way for them to get good vibrations and heroes and villains onto an album. Yeah. But I actually listened to it today. There are some interesting things on it, but it's not great. And then subsequently, different songs from Smile would wind up on other Beach Boys albums. Like we mentioned, Surf's Up. Mm. Surf's Up got its own album, basically. Like uh, the whole album was written around Surf's Up. Cabin Essence is another one. Flash forward to 1995. <whistles> Brian Wilson gets married to his wife, Melinda, who gets him proper psychiatric care and legitimate support. One day... Out of the blue, in uh -uh. 2001, Brian plays Heroes and Villains at the piano, and the room goes silent. Huh. Brian was just noodling at the piano and started playing Heroes and Villains. Everyone who was around him at the time sinks into silence because, remember, Brian thinks this record is cursed. He never plays this stuff. Yeah. And then one day, the it switch just flips. opens up again. And he plays Heroes and Villains. Huh. And he's about to go on stage in 2001, I think the next week or the next month or whatever it is, to play some kind of tribute show. And he performs Heroes and Villains at that show. That starts the ball rolling. And then in the spring of 2003, he pledges to perform All of Smile live. He's in a better place. He's got a support system. Uh -oh. But people must have thought, come on, you're nuts, dude. This is never going to happen. That's what they told him in the 60s, and right. it derailed the whole thing. I think the difference here is support. He was finally getting support for this stuff. And yeah. he had a band leader that he really trusted, a guy named Darian. I don't know his last name. Yeah. So anyway, Brian and his band approached the songs one at a time. They thought about the record more like a performance rather than recreating this thing. Mm -hmm. And it started to come together. So this guy, Darian, loaded the entirety of the Smile sessions into huh. Pro Tools and oh, walked Brian through the boy. whole thing. They touched up the first two movements, says Brian, 
and then added a third movement to create a three-movement rock opera. One of the challenges was that some of the songs weren't finished. So oh, who does no. Brian bring in? Van Dyke Parks? Comes back. Oh, come on, Van Dyke. You're back. Van Dyke comes back, helps Brian finish the album. Oh, my goodness gracious. In 2003. <laughs> wow. I didn't know any of this. I just yeah. thought I thought it was all in the vault. That's what I thought. <laughs> I know. So during the first couple of vocal rehearsals, Brian tries to back out. He has a panic attack, nervous breakdown, winds up in the hospital. Melinda walks him off the edge. The rehearsals start to turn him around. And then on February 20th, 2004, Brian performs Smile for the first time ever on stage in London. And guess who was there to give him a pep talk backstage? It was Billy Joel. Sir Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Was there. Wow. To give Brian a little encouragement. And it's on camera. It's on camera. They got it on camera. Wow. I got to watch that after this. From there, studio album was made. And then nearly a decade after that, the original sessions were assembled in the same way that the Smile album was assembled, but this time they had a blueprint into what we're going to be talking about today, which is the recreated version, the Smile Sessions. (laughs) All right, sorry about that. Are you ready for Paul's Bullet Corner? (laughs) Good morning. I'm going to be your instructor. Okay, I know you're anxious to jump right in. All right. Both bullet corner. (laughs) All right, my first bullet point. The clairvoyant friend you never knew your past-future self needed. Oh, good. Oh, boy. A look through the spyglass of an America that we're to love, admire, hate, resent, and seek the approval of simultaneously. I am tired. (laughs) (laughs) Resting by the waves with the towering neck of a humble hamburger boy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Humble hamburger boy. (laughs) That's my new Instagram (laughs) name. And then my last bullet point. Jonah swallowed you before swallowed by the whale Uh, where a music box plays you into life and death. Oh, man. That's the heaviest bullets yet. I think it's because I'm so heavy on this record. I feel like this is mostly just me talking at you. This is this is great. <laughs> this will be the centerpiece of this season, I feel like. I think this is a good one so far. Should we pray on it? Dear Lord, Father, please. I meant the album opener, Our Prayer. <laughs> oh, boy. So the album opens with Our Prayer and G, G E E. Uh, it is a church choir of melody by the masters. So, by the way, I forgot to mention in the story of this album, he does like direct the Beach Boys vocally to yeah. do this stuff. And that's how we have this smile sessions. The smile sessions is him running through the stuff with the band and he's sort of plugging in the holes to fill in the code because some West African beach boys can spontaneously change from male to female in a single sex environment. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Oh, Mr. DNA, where did you come from? From your blood. We are deep in this. Where's my, where's my straw? (laughs) 
So the Beach Boys. <laughs> so the Beach Boys do record this stuff. And by the way, there's awesome outtakes of our prayer specifically of Brian oh, saying like, no, 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 no. Yeah. do it like this. So yeah, it's basically just a a vocal melody, kind of like Because from Abbey Road, a little bit. The album is not really songs. They're just it's part of like one big symphony. Yeah. And you have movements flowing in and out of it, and you have little motifs here and there peppering the thing. And Smile really, and I know we're off the song already, but I forgot to get to this. Smile is basically what George Martin and Paul McCartney wanted Abbey Road to be. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Huh. George Martin thought they, that he and Paul could have taken it further as opposed to just side two, which is the suite. Or well, that was all John Paul songs versus... Right. Yeah, that's what makes Abbey Road so great, though. Yeah. Because you don't go all the way into the deep end. Yeah. But Paul McCartney and George Martin were trying to make a modern symphony. Brian was trying to do that, but two years earlier. Right. Wow. And on his own, you know, with no support. At least Lennon phoned it in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We come together is pretty great. Well, I mean, like, Polythene Pam. Yeah, that's it. I love those songs. It's nothing against Polythene Pam. That's a good point, because that song is not great, and it's on one of the best albums ever made. Yeah. And yet that album is still one of the best albums ever made, despite some of John Lennon's flaws. And 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 Paul's, too. It's because they tried to make it into one coherent thing. So really, I think Smile represents what could have been. Right. So... You're going to get a lot of stuff popping up here and there, but our prayer has a little melody that shows up, and it also introduces melodic counterpoint right. to the record. I don't know how familiar you are with like Bach and stuff like that, but the, enough uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. The idea of counterpoint is you have a bunch of different melodies competing at once to the point where it could even confuse you because you're not quite sure which one to listen to. Right. You could either have one and two or two, like three going at once or five. I don't know how much Brian gets up to in this record, but it's quite a lot. It's a lot. And because of that, with the vocal, it's an instrumental, I guess, there's yeah. the vocal is the instrument, but it sets this wonderful, heavenly, sort of lovely tone. And Brian always said that he hoped in his life that he would create songs that people would pray to. Huh. I and, didn't know that. Yeah. And so this is our prayer. Reminiscent of the endless chord of A Day in the Life a little bit, too. Yeah, definitely. And then, of course, G is the other side of that, and we get movements from throughout the record. We get a little bit of good vibrations. We get a little bit of heroes and villains, et cetera, et cetera. But it's basically, again, setting a tone. And the last thing, the last bit of introduction I'll give before I'm dying to hear what you think of our prayer in G, but the last little bit of, of introduction I'll give here is this record is meant to be a tour of America. It's meant to be a bicycle tour specifically of America. Oh, okay, I didn't. A bicycle, okay. It's meant to start on Plymouth Rock and end in Hawaii. Huh. The whole United How do States. you get to Hawaii on a bicycle? You know, you got a lot of hold a your breath. A lot of acid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so a lot of these songs, like basically you can start to infer where the person is when they start their journey. For instance, in Our Prayer... I think our prayer is church. Yeah. It starts yeah. in church and then G is like home mm. because all the melodies are living in G. All the different stuff from the album is living in this little pocket called G. Right. So you're going to church, you come home and then you set out on your journey. 
Yeah, these first two tracks, I they're amazing. And there's not much on this record I dislike, you know, if I can be straight about it. The, the One of the best parts, though, was just that horn that, <laughs> that flies right into Heroes and Villains. And I've heard, I don't know, 16 different versions of Heroes and Villains. Yeah. And the best one is the one that has the in the cantina part, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. You know, this is a great setup for what is just a wild ride. Yeah, you're about to embark on the journey. That's a trombone, too. It's oh, it's a trombone, not a trumpet. Which brings us into Heroes and Villains. This is the first song that Brian and Van Dyke worked on together. Well, lyrically, musically, everything about this song, I, it's, it's as, I think it's a little better than Good Vibrations, or it's at least on the same par as it. I agree. It's, it's like a bummer that this record didn't come out because it really, I think, I mean, we can get into this later. Like, would this have been considered better than Sgt. Pepper or what, what would the musical landscape have been like had this actually come out? Yeah. What would the Beatles have done right. in response to Smile? I mean, we'll never know. But here we, but imagine. I know. It makes you think, would the public have been ready for it? Was the public ready for Revolution 9? which is something a little similar to this. Which came on the like, radio for me today. I was like, what? <laughs> but I think the answer might be no. But as you say, we'll get into it. So Heroes and Villains and Good Vibrations are the only two songs to kind of sneak out of the Smile sessions into yeah. the public at the time. Good Vibrations was the smash. Heroes and Villains was the follow-up. Heroes and Villains did not perform as well as Good Vibrations. That's a bummer. I think Jimi Hendrix called Heroes and Villains a barbershop quartet on acid. Awesome. And true. Yeah. <laughs> it's a kooky little song written in one day, and this is one of the sandbox songs. Hmm. It's a great song, but it's a lot of visual images that are compelling. Yeah. I've been in this town so long that back in the city, I've been taken for a lost and gone, and I know it's been a long, long while. Oh, amazing. All of it. Yeah, it's it's beautiful musically. I love its complexity. The little vocal breaks here and there give you enough ear candy for that like sugar rush worthy of Brian Wilson birthday cake proportions. Um, oh, that's my favorite thing about him. Please tell our listeners what you learned about Brian Wilson's eating habits. There's some <laughs> interview I pulled because I went down a rabbit hole. Because I was introduced to this record around when the official version came out. It would have been 2002 or three, And then the Brian Wilson thing comes out. And you're like, oh, it's done. Eh, it's not that great. No, all good. But you, you dig into the publicity at the time. And they're like, so, Brian, how did you balloon to 300 pounds you know, at, uh, at, shortly after this period? It's like, oh, I was eating birthday cakes. <laughs> One half. To one whole birthday cakes every day. I love the, I love icing. I love the flavor and sensation of icing. So, and that's what I told Paul I was going to start doing. But I actually found birthday cake flavored protein bars. <laughs> As I was listening to this record and researching it, going just down the hole of madness that is Smile. Oh, it's wonderful, beautiful madness. So I love this song. The, the main character, you could say, is. On his way, you know, across the country, and he's experiencing or maybe is perceiving good people and bad people, but he really doesn't 
pick a side. He yeah. kind of gives both value, a yin and a yang kind of thing. Although in interviews, Van Dyke Park says that he was just aware that Brian wanted to do a song about good guys and bad guys. Yeah. And he did want good guys to win. Like he wanted this to be an optimistic record, oh. although, I mean, it's called Smile, but ultimately I think it's a complex record. I don't know if I would call it's it optimistic. definitely complex, yeah. Optimistic. As you mentioned, the In the Cantina bit was one of the segments not included in the single version. And I do, I love the wordplay with the margarita. It's a drink in some places, but it's also a, a lady who's dancing. Yeah. In the cantina, margaritas keep the spirit high. There I watched her, she spun around and went in the That's how I feel when I go into El Compadre. That Oof. song like spins in my head, and that's not even a joke. It just—that's what I imagine when I hear this part of that song. Yeah. Dance margarita, da, yeah. and you're drinking flame and margaritas <laughs> on Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah! It's catchy, melancholy, triumphant, complex. It gives you the twists and the turns of an epic battle. I always think of the chorus as the battle between those two opposing forces. And again, we get some of the flavor of G at the end. And right. Then we get the characters moving on to the next town, riding away on his horse, perhaps, exchanging his bicycle for a horse into... Do you like worms? Boom. <laughs> what? Uh, roll Plymouth Rock? Yeah. So big timpani drums open this one, and it is a jangly reverb drenched piano on there and then you get this amazing hook of rock i'm not allowed to tune rock rock roll the myth rock roll over and then uh so that's in massachusetts that brings you to, to massachusetts and then the, there's some bass singing by mike love in these indian chanty sort of sections or american indian chanty sort of sections that are just really really good it just boy those guys could sing man they really could and i just don't understand how the beach boys at the time didn't get it and maybe it took some type of reorganization later but you hear it and you're like yeah why wouldn't they want to just put this out it was i guess it was just too weird for them yeah mike love he's a complicated character because he's well, often he's an, he's an asshole that's what you mean to say he's vilified but you could make the argument that brian maybe needed somebody to ground him and Mike did contribute a lot over the years. Like, he contributed to Good Vibrations, and we'll get to that in a bit, like a really key part of that song. Huh. And Mike Love, of course, famously in the company of the Beatles with the Maharishi Mahashyogi mm -hmm. in Rishikesh in 1968, and then wears a robe for like four years on stage. He's just in a robe. He looks like a like a woke Klansman or something. Wow. <laughs> like, like the hood and is off. And that hat, that Beach Boys hat, was he wearing that yet? Pre-hat. Pre-hat. A hat is such a nice classic move. <laughs> well, I guess we'll get to that eventually. Uh, Do You Like Worms comes into play more than anything else in the symphony. It's the the rock, rock, roll, Plymouth, rock, roll over. That comes back and forth in the album often. And um, there's some really gorgeous, gorgeous musicianship going on here. There's a childlike wind-up toy thing going on in here too oh i thought that was the harpsichord is that what that is the bling 
Yeah, maybe mean? you're right. It, it quotes the heroes and villains again? Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Okay. Harpsichord. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, you could be right. But that's, uh, and then that brings us into that. Or whatever. Love that little stuff in there. Ugh, I just can't get enough of this song. It's strange, but. It's, yeah, like, it's definitely strange, but yeah. it's re-listenable and you remember all the component parts. Right. And that foreboding bass line brings us into track five, I'm in Great Shape. Not a lot to really say about this one, but we were talking about Brian's penchant for promoting wellness in others, but not himself. Not himself. And that's kind of this. If you're thinking of it in terms of not this album and just as a song, I think this is a send up of like the hollow calisthenics that Americans were exposed to in the fifties and the sixties. Yeah. Corporations trying to sell your own body back to you kind of thing. Oh goodness gracious. Some lovely horns on this playing against that echoey piano again. It gives you the, gives you the feeling that Brian admires, resents and seeks the approval of everything to do with this topic all at once. Is this a song where he is, is that he gives speeches? Is that in this? Or am I thinking of the wrong thing? He gives speeches, then he puts him back to bed. I'm already that. lost. I don't know that. Yeah. I'm already lost on this record. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. Look at he split. Da, 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 yes. In yeah, the great yeah. shape. Of the da, da, yeah, da. yeah, yeah. With our character, maybe he's getting ready for this bicycle journey, getting in shape for it. I don't know. But that brings us to track six, another short one, Barnyard, another bridge track. And this time we're in the American farmland. Not a lot to write home about, but apparently there was a fight over who got to play which animal. Wow. <laughs> the wolf was evidently very popular. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Beach Boy's not in the mix yet. <laughs> the, uh, the, wow. I don't even know what to say. Yeah, I, I do remember the animal noises, but I do like the out in the barnyard. Yeah. Like all the melodies throughout are hooky, and that's why this album is so compelling. Yeah, all these little motifs. Which brings us to track seven, My Only Sunshine. This is the most depressing cover of a happy jingle anyone has ever done. Like, you can feel Brian's sadness, but he's also using the contrast to let you off the hook a little. He's letting you know he finds it funny in a way. And I get the impression that Brian wants us to think he's trying to put on a happy face, but underneath there's this awful specter of depression. Beautiful strings, this lovely little slinky bass. And it's a cover, but one used to contribute to the tonal landscape of what he's trying to achieve. And I think the only cover on the record, really, they don't cover a lot of songs. It's its own sort of thing. It starts with the old master painter, and then it goes into that. But he says, you were my sunshine. You were. Yeah. Oh, it's great. I love this tune. I've always, I like the original. The, the yeah. old, is it a, it's a folk song, an American folk song, I think effectively. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, an original, but. Doesn't he change it to Why Did You Take My Sunshine Away? Yes. Or how, where is it? You're My Sunshine. How Could You Take My Sunshine Away? Jesus Christ, dude. Feeling dark. Feeling fine. (laughs) (laughs) 
Don't mind, mind if, if I do. do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that brings us to sandbox song number two, Ryan. Cabin Essence. Genius. Well, yeah, this is one of the high points on an album of many different high points. And you know, Light the Lamp and Fire Mellow, Cabin Essence, Timely. Is it Halo or Hello? Yeah. Halo, whatever, it whatever, is, whatever it is. This song is an encapsulation of the whole record mm-hmm. somehow. And you've already experienced that three to five times. You're like, wait, what is going on? <laughs> this is the song, the story goes, where Mike said this is a step too far. This was like the the straw that broke the camel's back for Mike Love. Is that right? This is the one. Over and over the crow, you know, all Who that stuff. Who ran the iron horse? Is that what pushed him over the edge? The dominant. 90 times, whatever it is. <laughs> Who ran the iron horse? It's about the railroads. Yeah. I get the feeling that we're in a, like a swamp, actually, watching flies circle the bog and dreaming of what dangers lurk beneath the water. I get the feeling that a crocodile should eat me at every turn in this song. Well, I don't want that. <laughs> well, okay, so we're talking about Stephen King. My next note on Cabin Essence is that I think this is the piece that Brian has been seeking his whole life. Oh. It's it's alive, but nowhere else but in this song, kind of like the Stephen King's The Stand. Yeah. You know, there's that cabin on the extra dimensional plane or whatever that Gary Sinise, I want to say, goes to. <laughs> Maybe his happy place, maybe his sad place, but I think cabin essence might be come some kind of metaphor for his head. I don't know. I dig that. Yeah. Who is the Grand Cooley? I don't know. <laughs> Who can you see the Grand Cooley? Working on the railroad over yeah. and over. The crow cries, uncover the cornfield. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think it's working title home on the range. Mm -hmm. And so that's the last line in that first verse, the home on the range, whatever it is. And this is one that made its way out onto future beach boys albums. I don't remember what it was on 2020. Yes. 69. 2020 is okay. Well, that's the bummer is that all those albums at the end of the sixties were okay because they were made of the component parts of smile or smiley smile. Ugh. But again, Getting to know this album, I started to get to know other Beach Boys albums and really find a love for them, like Holland and Sunflower and all that stuff. It's so good. Anyway, that brings us to track nine, Wonderful, mm. number three in our sandbox tally. Well, it makes sense. The The sand definitely did something to him. Yeah. Another genius little tune. It's a sweet but melancholy melody. There's kind of a Gilded Age music box feel to this one. All fall down and lost in the mystery, lost it all to a non-believer. There's a sadness, there's a regret in this song. I think this is maybe a parent figure type story, the wealthy and affluent portion of our American journey. And uh, there's a little she's leaving home on it. She'll sigh and thank God for the one, one, wonderful... That is amazing lyric writing. Mm-hmm. Don't care what you think about it. Yeah. And that's what, what, Van Dyke Parks brought to this? Yeah. He's the lyricist? Yeah. I mean, Brian contributed little things, but Van Dyke is a major component of this uh, album. Which brings us to track 10, Look, which is another sort of bridge tune. It's 
kind of haunting and well, it sets up the next song. Yeah, I think of this one as like a slinky back alley noir segment of America. And then, you know, obviously we jump into Child uh, Father of the Man and Good Vibrations. Almost like you're walking down the street and different songs are poking their heads out of the windows in the street and yelling at you. Yeah. You know, because all the different melodies. This one's an awful lot like G, where a lot of the different songs come back and rear their heads. I think we're meant to feel dread in this. And maybe the character is walking down or bicycling down a dangerous path. Maybe he suspects danger ahead. Maybe he doesn't. But I think we're meant to be scared for him. Oh, yeah, for sure. Or her. Which brings us to track 11. Child is father of the man. Great one. I think this song is uh, the journey. This is like the journey song. It's the main character looking out on a long stretch of road. He's very introspective and reflective, sad. There's a wonderful brass, which gives you the feel of looking out over dilapidated houses on the plain with wind gusts blowing through your hair. And the melodic counterpoint is also on full display here. There's so many different things happening at once. It's competing for your attention and challenging you to pick one. But will you pick Mm. the right one, Ryan? Will you pick the right one? I probably will because I've been pretty lucky in my life, but I don't know about everybody else. (laughs) Uh, I remember this one. If I haven't heard this in a while, if I close my eyes, there's a few moments in the record where I always can go back to, and this is one of them. This one, Cabin Essence, Heroes and Villains, clearly, Good Vibrations, almost doesn't feel like it's part of this album. Yeah. And then the next song also, which is, oh boy. Another sandbox song, Surf's Up. Oh, God. Yeah, what is there to say about this one? This is, when people don't get the Beach Boys, because everybody says, like you said at the beginning, Beatles, Rolling Stones. It's like, no. It's Beatles, Beach Boys. Right. This is as good as any song on Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. Yeah. Easily. It's a masterpiece. Three, four. The diamond necklace played the pawn. Hand in hand, some drummed along. Oh, to a handsome man at baton. Upline class aristocracy. Back through the opera glass you see the pit and the pendulum drum Colonnaded ruins don't When asked what Brian was feeling when he wrote this song, he said simply, just love. Canvas the town and brush the backdrop. Are you sleeping? A diamond necklace played the pawn. Hand in hand some drummed along. Oh, to a handsome man and baton. Bygone, bygone. A blind class aristocracy. Back through the opera glass you see the pit and the pendulum drawn. Bygone, bygone. Columnated ruins domino. Canvas the town and brush the backdrop. Are you sleeping? Columnated just means having columns. So yeah. ruins with columns, you think of Greece or Rome or whatever. Yeah. Domino, meaning, you know, they all cascade and fall. It's beautiful. Yeah. And the music. I mean, these are just the words, the harmonies, uh, and then the, that low moment where he actually says the chorus surfs up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Aborted mm-hmm. tidal wave and all that. 
it's the most deeply sad, most beautifully profound musical experience in a single song I've had in a long time. Uh, maybe with the exception, you know, like I was saying, the second side of Abbey Road spoke to me in a similar way, but this is like stepping inside somebody's head, this song. Definitely, definitely is. And it's one that actually didn't impress me on the first go around. I had to really get into this one and now I can't live without it. Yeah. I don't even know what else to say about it. Surf's Up is a masterpiece. Just, if you haven't heard it and you're with us on this journey, just go listen to it. Yeah. Leaving the sincerity behind for a moment, I Want to Be Around or Workshop is sort of the next track here. It's an atmospheric bridge piece. I imagine the depressed dude from Surf's Up maybe comes to a slinky little jazz club in this song. <laughs> you can kind of taste the cigarettes in the air. And then he exits and heads down the street and passes some construction. I dig that. It's kind of what I feel. Which brings us to Vegetables, where we opened our podcast today, track 14. One of the few songs I knew from this record because of that Paul McCartney connection with the munching of the celery or carrot or whatever. And I think this is the character approaching a farmer's market, if I'm not mistaken. It could be, yeah. Yeah, or a mother and her child at the farmer's market. Apparently, this was inspired by a TV evangelist who was espousing the healing power of eating vegetables. Hmm. And Brian was famously glued to the TV throughout a lot of his life. Gave him an escape. That's where we get songs on Love You Like Johnny Carson. Yeah, That record may or may not come back <laughs> on this podcast series. See, that's one. Planting the seed now. I could talk about Beach Boys Love You all all day. It's going to be a three-hour podcast, <laughs> two and a half hours of which will be on Johnny Carson. <laughs> uh, I think this one could have been a single. I think uh, it's the second track, by the way, on Smiley Smile after Heroes and Villains. Yeah, you're right. It was Celery. I Some giggling going on that's like this wonderful little bit of texture i could hear this one on pet sounds this one's a little more commercial it's funny yeah it's really funny i threw away my candy bar and i ate the wrapper <laughs> you know it's uh there's some whimsy in there definitely which brings us to track 15 holidays uh maybe our a protagonist or maybe antagonist uh-oh stops by a country fair on his journey the way brian treats piano sometimes is the same way he treats his vocals there's this harsh pluck but never a note out of place it's childlike in a way but with the simplicity that's necessary for what he's going for yeah. and the xylophone also enforces that childlike stuff too and uh that brings us into wind chimes we're entering into a suite of songs that are meant to represent the elements and wind chimes has sort of got that wind or air whatever kind of side of it more fun with xylophone on wind chimes the best part of this song is the arrangement and the music. Yeah. The lyrics keep it moving, but it is like what wind chimes are. They're up, high, they blow in the wind. It's yeah. a little pleasant sound. It's exactly what the song does. Yeah, they're distraction. It's funny, there's a line in here. Yeah. Though it's hard, I try not to look at my wind chimes. He's captivated by them. <laughs> I find this to be perhaps a meditation on the spirit of adventure in America. Okay. I can dig that. There's also some little like pseudo hard rock thumping going on at the end there before returning to those little prancy piano harpsichords things that we've come to expect. 
from the record, which brings us into the most controversial song on the album for Brian. Which is so strange. And you, you mentioned that at the beginning. And this is what? So Mrs. O'Leary's Cow. When you talk about fire, Mrs. O'Leary, O'Leary's Cow. That is supposedly the creature that started the Great Chicago Fire many years ago. Yes. Like most of Chicago burned down. They had to rebuild it. So he was really negatively affected by this track, is what you're saying? Yeah. So <laughs> Brian wheeled in a trash barrel and set it on fire in the oh session. Oh, boy. Come on. Legend has it, and Brian talks about this a lot, but there was a fire that erupted nearby, separate from his home. Yeah. That because of the drugs, he felt he had started. Huh. We were recording Smile, and we came across a tape, a song called Fire, which I was getting pretty far out by that time. Well, it so happens that a building burned down the same day we were doing that, down the street of the studio that we were doing the fire tapes. I had the musicians wearing fire helmets. I had a guy bring in a bucket with burning wood to smell of smoke in the, in the studio. I mean, I was crazy. I began to think that we started that fire somehow mystically. Yeah, so he thinks he caused it. I understand. So yeah. just all these things keep negatively... He's, very troubled guy. Yeah, and he felt that this song in particular was cursed. Yeah. Uh, the specter of death lurking in the flames. As the story goes, this is one song where the recording really flew off the rails in terms of excess. Brian was wearing a fireman's helmet in a sandbox, just doing all of this acid and whacking away at this triangle in this bizarre but frightening cacophony of noise. Yeah. And when they were rehearsing this song for that first London performance of Smile, Brian wasn't there for the first rehearsal. They wanted to make sure the band could get it before he got there because they didn't want anything to go wrong and set Brian off. Because this this is one of the reasons, I don't know if you remember at the beginning of the podcast, I cited four reasons why Brian didn't finish yeah, Smile. Yeah, this is what, the fourth, third or fourth one yeah, you said? he thought this was too scary. So in the middle of their first rehearsal of this song, the, the power goes completely out in the studio and they all look at each other like... This song is cursed. It clearly is. I never listened to it all the way through. It's it's a little not that it just don't why would I listen to that? It's a, <laughs> it's I think if you believed in conjuring ghosts and spirits and all that, which again I do not, I could see you tripping off on this and thinking that thinking you're opening a portal to hell or whatever. Yeah. Bringing back Zool. <laughs> <laughs> but then we put the fire out, don't we? We give ourselves some love to say da-da. It's just a bunch of nonsense lyrics, right? Yeah, and you got to put the fire out with something. May as well be love. So this song, track 18, love to say da-da, water. It's a little replenishing side of nature as opposed to the yeah. destructive side of nature. That makes sense. And uh, you also get a reflection and a meditation on everything we've heard up to this point it gives you almost every song from the album comes back in a little sweet little almost band on the run where they go through or um, mm -hmm. the at the end of Red Rose the medley power cut yeah <laughs> I actually really like that med medley but I do too and uh, it ends on a prayer up to God guess what God answers with good vibrations do 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 what's what can be said 
about this song. It is... Good vibrations. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, apparently Mike Love was the guy who said, use the word good. This is why Mike Love, you know, you, you always hear these stories like, well, I co-wrote Good Vibrations because I put the word good in front of vibrations, but what he, about all of the rest of it? <laughs> so he wrote the descending lick. I'm picking up good vibrations. Yeah, all the She's surfer music, the all the pop is Mike Love. But it's important to note, this is pre-Van Dyke. That is very interesting. So this is Brian and and crew on their own. And you know what? Part of me thinks if Brian just waited for the band, maybe that touring thing that they worked out wasn't such a good thing after all. Because part of me thinks if Mike felt invested in this material, he would have maybe fought for it more and we would have got Smile because then Mike would have felt like he owned it or at least a part of it and it would have come out. Same, like Good Vibrations, great example. Mike contributed to that. Guess what? It's great. Probably the best song they ever did. One of the most interesting things about it is its unusual form. And I did look this up. Yeah. It has an A, B, A, like modified, B, C, D, B, E form. Whereas most songs are A, B, A, B, C, and then usually some kind of outro or maybe just another verse or maybe even just another chorus another b section so it's all the way up to e you think of all the you're like what in the hell is that coming from and then just the cellos that come in i can't sing up that high oh those cellos are rock and roll like that's they really are one of my favorite parts of the song is aggressive cello <laughs> the electro theremin, which is different than the theremin because it has a little bit of a keyboard. Yeah, I saw the, the when they play it. I've seen the theremin live a few times. Yeah, and yeah, it looks like you're a mad scientist up there, like checking the weather or something. Whatever you're doing, this one looks more like a pedal steel or something. Mm-hmm. I think this is Brian's prayer answered. You know, maybe the protagonist died in that fire. <laughs> well, look, this the success of this. And the influence I know that it had on Sgt. Pepper and pop music generally proves what the project could have been if somebody was helping Brian or maybe if the band wasn't on tour, if they were all supported. Because it did, I mean, it did come out. They did use a lot of the songs. So everybody talks about this record like, Brian Wilson was nuts and it was insane. And it's not like yeah. it's a bunch of, you know, back to the Todd Rundgren where it's actually that and that still came out. Like, this is good pop music. I just think you have a troubled artist. A lot of artists are troubled. How many yeah. artists have you heard of that have psychological problems because they're using the music to cope with whatever it is they have? I'm glad we have this version we're talking about. With the band? Yeah. And Okay. Would, would we have had it without the 2004 version that is, I liked when I heard it and you go back to it and it just is like stale bubblegum at this point. To advocate for that era just a moment, the live versions that he does with the band uh-huh. are way have a lot more vibrancy. I think the studio felt a little antiseptic. It felt a little rehearsed, whereas the live version had a has an immediacy to it. So if you do go back and you watch, there's a there's wonderful like videos. In fact, I think it came out with the studio version. They give you a whole live filmed version. No kidding. And that one's okay. That one's okay. But Brian's voice just is what it was. It's fine. It's okay. It's the same thing with McCartney when we talk on Take It Away. You know, it's like, 
We're not ragging on Paul because he's getting old. Yeah. It is a different voice. Right. You're older. Sure. I prefer a different one. That's why most musicians are young. You want to hear the young guy just full of energy and life, not necessarily. Unless it's Joni Mitchell or something, and then I prefer her as old <laughs> and as cigarette smoking as possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was good. I was tempted to bring my I was tempted to bring my record albums to a session because there's in the vinyl release of the smile sessions, they give you beautiful, like big photographs of Brian and the right. band at the time. And, you know, he's a kind of anti-rock star. He's sort of pudgy Definitely. and looks a little unkempt and he's wearing sort of plain clothes. And th- at this point in his life, he's not the teeny bopper Brian anymore. No way. There's something inspiring about looking at that guy and thinking like, man, you saw the future of music and what a wonderful, beautiful, horrible tragedy that it almost killed you. Yeah, he's still alive. There is something to be said about that. But he survived. There is something. I'm reading a book about Rolling Stone magazine right now and Pete Townsend has some quote about how at one point it just became about, it's not an exact quote, moving and turning and shifting so you could just stay alive yeah. through the whole thing like the survivors of the 60s and 70s brian's lucky all the all the people brian jones mama cass i mean lennon even in the 80s like these a lot of people got taken out before yeah music changed around 82 84 85 whatever yeah. which whoever you are where hip-hop comes in this maybe controversial thing to say is early hip-hop. A little bit, The yeah. modular element where you're taking samples and then putting them on top of each other. Yeah. Not exactly the same thing. Sure. For the technology they had at the time. What a bold thing to do. Yeah. He was ahead of his time. And he pulled it off, eventually. Eventually he did it. And, you know, for all the ragging we do on that 2004, like you say, without that, you wouldn't have got the new one. And that goes in large part. I wish I could do this guy's last name. This guy's named Darian. He was his band leader and kind of Brian's cheerleader. He was a guitarist that could sing the falsetto, right? He, he was on keys. Okay, then. And, I don't uh, know who you're talking about. Yeah, it's a young kid. Looked like a you know typical Brooklyn hipster type, thick rim glasses that. and stuff. And he was Brian's support along with his wife, Melinda. It's so sad to see some of this footage because Brian goes into depression during the rehearsal and that's when he's hospitalized. And it's looking like he's not going to do it. It's looking like he's going to back out. And then, it, and then it just happens. It just happens because there was no buddy sitting there saying, Brian, this is dumb. You're dumb. You know, there's people saying, no, people want to hear this. Everybody's wanted to hear it for 50 years or however long. So smile. I'm smiling. Can you hear it? I'm trying to smile on the, on the mic. That's it. That's all I got. Well, you did a really great job. I, <laughs> I hope you guys really liked hearing from me today. I was just trying to keep it light. <laughs> I, like I said before, I think this is the best episode we've done so far. It got heavy, but we got through it. And we're going to go back to some light stuff next time, probably. Maybe. I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll, we'll see, see where if, it goes. We'll see if I make it home. Right. I'm going to be thinking about some of these dark stories. I did want to tell you, I've already been in touch with the contractor, and your office is going to make a wonderful sandbox. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I need a sandbox up to my neck. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Do you have an opinion about the album we discussed today? 
contact us at at now hear this podcast on instagram at now hear this pod on twitter facebook.com slash now hear this podcast or email us at now hear this official at gmail.com see you next time Joplin right. and Hendrix, Steve, uh, not Steve Morrison. <laughs> Jim Morrison. Steve Morrison, the guy <laughs> at Steak and Shake that fills up my milkshakes in Santa Monica. Well, hey, Ryan. Hey, Paul. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute mm. to help keeping these Now Hear This episodes coming, well, they can donate featuring the wonderful new donation technology that Acast has developed for us. That's right. Acast has helped us out. They host the show. Yeah, our hosts, Acast, have made it really easy to donate to the show. They have an Acast supporter feature, and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show. It can be five bucks, a hundred bucks, less than a dollar. We don't care. Yeah, just something to keep the lights on. It's all out of pocket, and we do this out of love. And that's it. And we love you all for listening. Thank you very much for doing that. Couldn't said it better myself. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, bye then. <laughs>